What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again, or if it's your first time, thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy what you hear. Uh, if you do dig what you're listening to and you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can head over to the iTunes or whatever uh, app you are using to listen to this episode of the podcast and uh, hit the program with a subscribe and a review on the iTunes Hook it up with the five stars, say a few nice words, and that will help drive more traffic to the podcast and more uh, national visibility for it. Always super helpful. Other than that, you can go to dancablepresents.com. Uh, there's a donate button on there if you want to you know, hit the program with a few dollars to, to help support what's going on. Maybe uh, pick up yourself one of those uh, baseball tees with my big dumb face on it. And uh, also, you can help by sharing, just sharing an episode of the podcast or sharing one of the videos on the YouTube channel, which you can also subscribe to so you know when those uh, fresh videos are coming through. Uh, a couple calendar dates before we get into this episode of the podcast. Uh, June 8th at the White Eagle, live Dan Cable Presents podcast. This is going to be the second time that we take the program live in front of an audience. It's going to be a uh, really dope night down there at the White Eagle. Uh, we got Karma Rivera, Boca, Mike Fontaine, MG Productions, and Alex Meltzer of Corgi and Bass. Going to be uh, the house DJ for the night, so that should be a good time. You should come come out, you know, a Mountaineer Mike down there, and we'll be doing some filming and whatnot, so it should be, should be a good one. Love to see some some friendly, familiar faces out there as well as some new faces. Uh, also, the Portland Best Of, Willamette Week's Best Of polls are going on right now. I'll put the link in the, uh, in the episode notes, but the Dan Cable Presents podcast is nominated for Best Portland Podcast as well as P- Best uh, Web Series. So that's super dope. And I appreciate everybody that made it possible for me to be nominated for that. So uh, thank you again for for tuning in, checking out what's going on. Uh, We will have some more studio sessions coming at you soon, I promise. This is another on-the-go episode that uh, I did with uh, the homie Luke Neal of uh, Portland Radio Project. He's got a really awesome weekly show there called sounds of pdx and he's also starting a new uh thursday afternoon show as well which uh he'll be playing some jams there on thursday afternoons on 99.1 fm here in portland or you can tune in on the internets on portlandradioproject.com you can check it out and and tune in lots lots of great local music going on uh, through there, Luke has been kind enough to have me on uh, Sounds of PDX a couple times, so I was stoked to uh, finally sit down and, and get him on the podcast because he's become a good friend of mine over, over this past year or so. 
Um, also, he's involved in PDX Spotlight, which is a, a cool uh, web series that he and Mike Burling do together. So that's another uh, another way to find out about uh, local music, adverse effects. Uh, got some fresh stuff coming from Adverse on, on PDX Spotlight. So, you know, keep up on those things. Show your support for it. Um, yeah, I think that's it. No one needs to listen to me jibber-jabber anymore up top here. You can just go ahead and get into the episode. Uh, also, just can't stress enough those iTunes reviews, as always. Always super helpful, so... If you have a minute, it really just takes a minute. You're already listening, probably on your phone. All you have to do is click write a review. That's it. That's all that has to happen. And then we get more reviews up there. 100 is the goal, so help us get there. And, uh, yeah, much love to everybody that shows support for the podcast but just tuning in every week. Really appreciate it. It's been uh, cool to see how this thing has grown in such a, a short period of time. So. Hook it up with a vote for the Willamette Week. Come out to the live podcast on June 8th at the White Eagle. And yeah, without further ado, this is episode 58. How about that? Episode 58 with my man, Luke Neal. Get into it. Luke Neal. Yeah, what's up, man? What is good, man? We're finally doing it. <clears throat> Long overdue. Yeah. yeah was sick last time we had that planned up. <laughs> it's all right. Lost my voice. It's all good. This is a much better time for us to do it when you have a voice. Yeah, yeah, this is cool. Thanks for uh, having me on the show, man. Absolutely. Uh, wanted to bring you on definitely to, you know, talk about Sounds of PDX, which is the uh, weekly radio show that you host on Portland Radio Project. 99.1 or on the internets. And uh, as well as your involvement with uh, PDX Spotlight, which is another program that you host. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just all the other fun stuff. But I know that similar to myself, you kind of got to this point in your musical career from being a musician yourself. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to... uh, kind of take it back to Arizona nice. where, where you hail from and <laughs> and learn uh just about your relationship with music and and how it just kind of fill in some of the gaps of how we get to 2017 where you're hosting a couple different things and and just showing a lot of love for the local Portland music community yeah so. man it's um <clears throat> first of all it's been really cool the Portland scene has kind of embraced uh what I'm doing and I, you know, it's the environment that makes it possible, and that's something that, you know, the Phoenix music scene, when I was really involved in the early 2000s, still because of the urban sprawl, couldn't really host something like what we're doing um, with the amount of regular shows that we can see, you know, on a Wednesday night as well. Um, but originally in high school, I did some radio stuff. I'd been, you know, playing music all through high school, mostly guitar, in and out of bands, songwriting partnerships and stuff. I'd done a solo record and then uh, got to Phoenix and was in a band there that was had a really great run called Second Gravity and uh, it was really interesting to find out that you and I probably could have shared a bill in our similar bands after hearing your, your yeah, other projects. Absolutely. I remember just after that first time of hanging we, we both just like just spouting off handfuls of records like what about this one? It's just like all these records that we both really dug and 
and connected on and definitely uh similar vibes in in what we did uh but early on like when did you catch that music bug like when did it affect you and and how were you exposed to it my music bug is a very visceral (laughs) memory for me still it's really uh i forget the name of the artist now but there's a song at the end of the movie streets of fire a great 80s b flick if you haven't seen it um the song is called i can dream about you and it's like a straight 80s pop song but i remember leaving the theater in like the adjacent town where i grew up to in eastern arizona and uh, we were real safe so there was like five of us in a station wagon and i was without a seat belt in the back <laughs> and uh, the song came on the radio and i remember like laying in the back looking up at the stars and it like Sounds really cheesy, but it hit me. And at that point, I just knew. And I, you know, asked my dad for a guitar for Christmas. And he finally gave in my freshman year. And uh, so there was no other musicians in the family. My older sister, Carol, she introduced me to a lot of cool music. And we had a record player. And then she finally got a tape player. And, you know, I'd listen to music with her. Um, But past that, you know, I had a couple vocalists in my family. and, And, you know, the it's really hard. I grew up in a town of basically 3,000 people. So to find musicians, I ended up playing with, you know, guys in Phoenix that were all kind of from that region. But we had just said, had we been willing to drive an hour and a half back in the days, we could have practiced together. Uh, but yeah, man, ever since I can remember, I've just always, I grew, you know, lucky enough to grow up in the time when MTV and VH1 still played music and, you know, MTV2, 100, 128 hours or 28 minutes. Uh, anyway, yeah, that was just a, a lucky time to grow up before the advent of uh, what we can do with music on the internet. Everything felt a little bit more personal. You know, finding a record was kind of a, a goal of mine, to find something that was cool and fresh that, you know, is a lot harder than going on and, you know, looking at today's Apple playlist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were... Uh what were some of the early albums you remember having an impact or some of those ones that your sister turned you on to? Uh, the Lost Boys soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> you know? What, what, was, uh, what was on Lost Boys soundtrack? Or Man, there was, there was a, couple a bunch of great... stuck out from there. The first song that stuck out to me was The Doors. People Are Strange is the beginning of that, and that's like the only um, classic rock song. The rest are, you know, basically just songs that were written for lost boys there's a couple covers uh but she introduced me like to the new wave stuff and then uh i got into when i first started playing guitar i was really into metal like a lot a lot of van halen a lot of ozzy osbourne and then i really got into guitar geeks like eric johnson and satriani and that stuff then in the late 90s i came back around i really wasn't a big alt rock fan before but uh when yield came out for pearl jam that one changed my life that record is just a masterpiece for me that's the one with smile on it or is that no code uh no code all right yeah it's the one right after it though okay. it's got you know same drummer jack irons was on yeah no code and and yield um i think yield was produced by brendan o'brien and and i don't think no code was but yeah so, and then after that it just kind of just you know i was fortunate enough to be friends with a guy named uh John Robertson at the time, John Shaman is his name now. He's a producer and an artist himself. And uh, he'd done some touring and a lot of recording, and he was living in Phoenix at the time and then decided to come up and live um, 
in the Pine Top Lakeside area where I was still living after I graduated and just introduced me to Jeff Buckley and Ben Harper and all these great musicians, uh, especially Chris Whitley. He sent my one on a road trip to see my brother in Eastern Arizona College. It was about a three-hour drive, and I took some Chris Whitley records and uh, Terra Incognita by Chris Whitley. Like, it totally blew me away. The first, I mean, I hadn't seen my brother in months, and I drove right to his house. I was like, get in the car, dude. We're going <laughs> to drive and listen to this shit. Uh, and at the time, too, just before I had moved um, away from there, when I was getting into alt rock, I was also working at a, a small Sears store, and another guy that worked there named Don Mayo was totally into like Delta Blues, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he taught me a lot. I would go to his house and jam, and uh, he was kind of in the blues, old blues guys circle um, where I was from, and the owner of the local music store, Dennis Louchard, who'd previously toured with Neil Young and Richie Havens and those types of artists. Um, you know, he kind of took me to a couple jam sessions and then we had a big thing. So I learned a lot of blues chops and pentatonic scales. And then as an artist after that, I started kind of songwriting when I was getting into alternate tunings. Um, you know, I've, I don't have dainty hands. So when I found alternate tuning, it made it really interesting for me and it opened up songwriting in a way that, you know, I went back and looked at other artists from Soundgarden to mostly artists like, again, Chris Whitley or Ani DeFranco. And that really is where my wheelhouse was for a long time. Like that singer-songwriter vibe. For sure. And when you started doing, um, kind of exploring the singer-songwriter thing, where did, uh, where was the motivation and creativity for writing lyrics coming from? Was it like a, a rebellious attitude or is it just like high school love stuff or like what was uh what yeah. was happening there on those early tracks the first track i wrote was a cliche title called breathe and uh did you say breathe breathe yeah Everyone. every every like alternative rock band 90s band early 2000s like that was a necessary title for yeah, at least one track yeah like breathe <laughs> breathe I'd like to search that now and like kind of see how many tracks come up like when we search breathe songs from the 2000s song titled, titled breathe. breathe. <laughs> um yeah, I'd written a handful of stuff and what was interesting is I was in a songwriting partnership my senior year and a couple years after that with a guy named uh Willie Baird and we had started to form a band and the year I got married we just his life got busy, my life got busy and so I'd written, we'd written like 40 plus songs over that time. So I started going through and, and uh, Breathe was one of those songs I'd held on to. And there was a couple others, but I, I had told Don at Sears that I was getting ready to record some stuff. I was like, I just want to do a solo thing. Well, there was a guy passing through my small town. He was there for three months named David Bennett. He was from Nashville, just done a blues record with the Neville Brothers and had a lot of really good studio time, but had a legit home studio with a big board and all, you know, mostly analog gear at the time. We didn't record the tape there, but uh, anyways, that was really like, he was my Obi-Wan Kenobi. He took me under his wing and I came in and I'd never sang really before. So I was writing new songs and, and how it worked was, I would have studio time like booked on a Thursday. So I found myself like Tuesdays and Wednesdays writing songs. So every week 
I was recording new material, which was kind of a cool thing. So I ended up doing eight songs with David Bennett. It's called, I can't remember what the name of that EP was. Um, but through that process, I, I knew I was in the right place when I met David because I went into a studio and he had a poster of Ani DeFranco. And that to me was like, this dude can't be in this small town like for s- no strange reason. Like this isn't a coincidence. But he showed me how to chart out my songs. He showed me how to copyright my music. Really gave, between him and John Shaman, they gave me a big boost in the music business side. Um, so yeah, I started singing then. So the lyrics at that time were kind of a little bit rebellious. You know, I I think everyone has contentious relationships. And I'm, I like a... Um, obscure lyrics you know i don't think i want to get too spacey with them sometimes but like i like the poetry side or tongue-in-cheek lyrics so there's still songs i have that people don't know that they're about and so i would say at the time for sure mostly rebellious i was really against anything that sounded super commercial with like my early stuff which is way different from what i'm doing now but like a lot of uh you know, EXO from Elliot Smith at the time was really big. I lived in Tucson for a year, my wife and I, before we moved to Phoenix, and there was a great spot on, uh, I think a Speedway called Bentley's, really cool coffee shop. So I kind of cut my teeth in Tucson and then moved to Phoenix a year later, and that guy, Willie Baird, was starting a band there, um, and again, couldn't commit to that one. He bounced, and the members of the band, there was four of us, uh, the drummer, Tyler, was like, why don't we just do your songs off that solo record you did with David Bennett? I was like, oh. So that's how my early 2000s band started. And at the time, there was a lot of post-punk, screamo, and uh, metal in Phoenix. And we were doing, you know, acoustic bass, <laughs> heavy alt-rock. So This is where we connect on. I yeah, mean, this exactly. Is, this was my world as well in, in <laughs> Southern California. We, like, our town was this hub for hardcore and like scream screamo bands and metal bands and we would get placed on these bills and we were <laughs> singing no like choice. these fucking ballads and people were like we don't want to see this <laughs> you know like we didn't come here for this and it's like we didn't book this show like we're not the promoters it's like just yeah a lot a lot of fun we were lucky enough to never like the Phoenix music scene wasn't that aggressive, but they were very competitive. I remember one time there was a showcase group that came in from L.A., and that's one big disadvantage that the Phoenix music scene has is at the time and still now a lot of record A&R folks think if a band is serious in Arizona, they'll go to L.A., and you know that's just not reasonable. So this group um, was bringing showcase, so three or four artists from L.A., and then they would book three or four artists from Phoenix. And we did a showcase at the Hard Rock Cafe, and it was two hip-hop bands and us. And this is like Little John era (laughs) hip-hop, T-Pain type hip-hop, right? So it wasn't very high IQ hip-hop. And then the other bands from L.A. were great. Wait, 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 wait. What are you trying to say about Little John's (laughs) art? And with T-Pain. that statement. He's no Cat Stevens when it comes to lyrics. That's All what right. I'll say. Proceed. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I can't remember the other bands. Um, there was the the headlining metal band. They got signed and went on. I forget their name. It was a metal band with a female lead singer that was a brunette. I think Haleon or Halion, something like that. Like Hailstorm or something? Yeah, something like that. 
Uh, that was yeah. a band. Hailstorm was a band, it, it, a lady fronted band, like in it that may have realm. Been them. Yeah, but they were they were killer. But so right before us, you know, we had a really different crowd because we went on between the two hip hop bands, and that was fine and all. And I see why they did that because we were still a rock band, but it was different. The end caps were pretty heavy. But what's funny is one of the members of the band has a pretty conservative. Uh, set of in-laws and they were there and so right before us is this hardcore hip-hop going off and yes. they're just beyond uncomfortable at the desk so just having their minds blown in just, the worst of ways yeah they were not happy they were you know only sticking around for us that's for sure but no yeah the scene was really cool i mean again it's way more competitive uh than it is here in portland in a you know in that negative way but it was interesting at the time too. We wanted to to have melodically driven songs with cool changes and nice dynamic instrumental breakdowns and all that stuff. But at the same time, when we were in the studio, I didn't want to put anything on record that we couldn't duplicate. And that's something I wish, and I think we may have not done that because we didn't have the budget. <laughs> you know how that goes. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we recorded a place called Launchpad. The producer, Mark, was really cool. We, um, Our record was mixed down, our EP. It never got mastered, but the, the EP got mixed down on a Neve board there in Phoenix, so it sounded great. The room was really cool. Um, and then after that band broke up, we the drummer and I tried to reform a different version of it called Citizen Broadcast, where I was still doing alternate tunings, but I'd moved to an electric rig mostly. Um, we were really going for like the late, or the yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, Pearl Jam, Sonic, you know, type stuff. And that just didn't work out. So in 2006, I started building my home studio, um, you know, just little home production stuff. And then that is just, you know, I got into recording software, and that's where it started for me, this, I would say, second chapter after the performance and recording chapter. And then I got into producing some artists in Arizona. Um, you know, I, I did... One artist that had a really phenomenal EP. She played a lot of regional, regional circuits in Arizona, which was cool. And then another artist um, I produced right before I moved to Portland. Um, and, you know, did some voiceover stuff. So it's kind of f funny. As I was exiting the corporate America world, these things came full circle again where I started doing more music again. So the drummer from the previous band from the 2000s, uh, early 2000s named Tyler, he's now singing in, the, in the, our current project called Tri-State. Um, that keyboard player from there is involved as a producer and player. He does vocals and writing with us. And then uh, my other buddy, Brandon McAllister, he does all the hip-hop spoken word stuff. And so, you know, I do songwriting and mixing and all that stuff here. And we bounce it back and forth across state lines. Word. Yeah, so that's where the musical <laughs> kind of thing ended up before we uh, came up here. Rad. Um, yeah, before we get into a musical break and kind of like get into... Sounds of PDX stuff, a little more in depth. Just want to back it up to one of the things that you had said was that early on you didn't want to write anything that sounded too commercial. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, your mindset has kind of changed on that a, mm -hmm. a bit. Can you kind of just like expand upon um, that, that switch happening or, or just like why you're more open to that now? Yeah, I would say it's a. You know, this is a piece of advice I would give to to people who were starting their musical journey. I wish I would have known the difference between the mental attitude of approaching a record versus a live performance. 
So I've always loved strings, and I always heard cellos and stuff, and we just never put that on record unless we were, you know, going to find one. So I think I always had. We were lucky enough to get some radio play on a major Phoenix station for a while, um, and so I think some of the the melodies I wrote were commercial, you know. But if if it sounded too happy or too chimey, you know, I would be sure to change the way my guitar sounded, or you know, have someone take a minor line on the bass. Or I think, you know, to get kind of personal, the switch for me changed when. Uh, I had some not-so-fun stuff happen in 2013, went through some trauma and was diagnosed with mental illness. And then I just kind of went, I was still listening to music on the regular, but I was moving more towards electronic and back to more singer-songwriter. And that changed for me. I think I was just drawn to writing. I'd never dabbled with like a bunch of MIDI and programming and I for some reason started getting into that because it just felt happy and positive because I think it kind of took me back to that synth-based new wave stuff my sister had introduced me to. So it was kind of like starting over and I've just hung out there. That's exactly kind of what Tri-State is, is 90s hip-hop-based rhythm tracks with new wave instrumentation and... uh at that point, I just I had a big attitude change towards a lot of music, and it was that of, look, if it makes you happy and, you know, it takes you to a good place, just because it's pop music doesn't mean it doesn't have a high IQ. Character can lie within anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look at a band like Matt Greco, and I got into a talk about uh, St. Lucia, and he'd heard some of their recordings and thought they were, you know, he didn't. It wasn't his jam for a while, you know. I thought they were a little too commercial, and then he saw them live, and his mind was changed. You know, it's one of those things. I just think the more rules we put on how we mentally look at music, the more limitations we put on ourselves. You know, I'll before I give my opinion on a record or a song, I'll try to listen to it four times all the way through. You know, we've talked about that. Yeah, I think it's just being open to that stuff. So the the mindset change was just that. I think I was just looking for happiness in any place I could find it at the time and that's you know it's sustained me I still go back and listen to Tool and Deftones and all that great stuff you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's just not you know I think I could go back and write some of because we, we had some darker stuff I think I could go back and write some of that stuff for sure um, but I feel like now I have just more choices of places I can draw inspiration from, and I just feel more open to music in general. Yeah, I think I... Maybe not because of, like, the same reasons or anything. I, I feel like there was a certain point, maybe, like, a few years ago, that I realized that being a hater towards anything is really just not that productive and doesn't, like, make a whole lot of sense Yeah, to just, like, trash somebody. Mm -hmm. I've realized that more, like... More or less, it's really that something is just not for me right now. Exactly. And it might be later because I remember, and I think I've brought it up on this podcast, like for a long time, I really couldn't get past Claudio's voice from Coheed and Cambria or Anthony Green from Circus Survive. And those are like a couple bands that have become my favorites. Yeah. You know, like, those are bands I want to see every time they come through town, and I'll still listen to their records regularly. And 
Yeah, just to like speak more about what you're talking about, like re- just writing good songs. And I think, you know, <clears throat> wanting to write the perfect song can be as, or like wanting to write obscure music just to write something obscure can be as dangerous totally. as wanting to write like a hit song because you're still just like not letting something happen. You just have like so much behind it where you're just like, oh no, we're going to make something different because <laughs> then we're going to be different. And yeah. Like, that's not, but you end up not, that's being not different. where the character is at, you know? Yeah. I think if it's genuine, it's genuine. I, as a, producer like right now i'll give a shout out to some folks who've been on the program before uh kai on the mountain i'm lucky enough to be working and producing their latest record and i have no intentions of doing anything other than amplifying what they do to their full potential you know i can't go in there thinking you know we need to get this group to write xyz type of song or single or whatever no you know because kaya writes great songs and the rest of the band are great producers themselves you know it's about that flow of consciousness i think if you're being honest with yourself and you've written enough songs that you can just rely on you know whatever your inspiration is and if you happen to write something that's super obscure cool run with it yeah you know that's you know, bugs off of Vitology. Like, that was probably an organic, weird thing that they <laughs> kept. They weren't trying to write a hit song, and they weren't trying to be obscure. Right. It's just a weird thing that happened, yeah. and every record has those things, you know, and I dig that. Um, yeah, absolutely. What is the... Uh, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? If, for, like In the music business? Yeah. Or as a musician? Either. Maybe as a musician, like what is what is the thing that someone has told you that like? <laughs> okay, so this guy will go unnamed, uh, but we it's kind of you. <laughs> I'm sure he, I'm sure this person listens. <laughs> That'd be so good. Like, Can you believe what that fucker Luke knew? This asshole. <laughs> all these years later, uh, so we had in the band Second Gravity, we had a uh, a great booking manager and a great business manager. And uh, we were working our way into a relationship with RCA. And so we figured we might want to get a lawyer. So the Keys player, Cameron Palmer, had a recommendation that there was a music lawyer from New York who'd recently moved to Phoenix. And so he invited us out to his place after he saw us live. And uh, he had his stuff together. I mean, he was working out contracts and, and writers and, and giving us real expectations of what of what to look at. He was looking at, um, my, my wife Sarah started a publishing company. He was really happy with what we did there. He wasn't trying to restructure anything, but I felt there was something fishy. So the worst piece of advice that he gave us is that we should work with him solely as like our booking manager. He's like, you just need to work with me because that's what I did in New York. I, I was a music lawyer and I booked acts on Broadway and actors and actresses. We're like, okay, so we'll follow you. So we're like, all right, we'll get into this with you. Well, the day we fired him, we went to, <laughs> we fired him because he'd opened this private theater and we'd talk to him on the phone, like, this is what we need. We need a PA with a sub and blah, blah, blah. And we got there and nothing was done. I mean, his sound guy was like, do you guys know how to solder? 
I'm like, what? And he brought in a subwoofer from like, oh, what are you making? Hey, he had like a subwoofer from a home theater system from like Target or Best Buy. I'm like, dude. Uh, so that would be, that was the worst piece of advice that we got is to sign a solo booking contract with a self-interested theater owner. Nice. <laughs> uh, cool. Let's, uh, let's get in one of the tracks that you uh, brought in for us. Yeah, since uh, we've been talking about my past, let's do Time Machine by Goldfoot. Rad. Right? Goldfoot's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, new, new single. They were one of the first bands to embrace me in the Portland music scene, so I definitely wanted to give them a shout-out. Uh, they're just... What, what can't you say about Goldfoot? They're just incredible. Brad, this Brad. is uh, Goldfoot with Time Machine. This is their new jam. I think you can find it on the uh, even the, the iTunes now. I think it just ended up there. I think it's up on SoundCloud and whatnot as well, so check out Goldfoot, everybody. This is Time Machine.
that was Goldfoot with their uh, fresh single, Time Machine. I just saw those dudes for the first time. Dudes and Lady. Shout out to Ruth. Yeah, dude. She crushes on the drums and the vocals. It's so fun to watch her. Yeah. She's just smart, and her timing's ridiculously good. Yeah, and her voice is fucking bitching. I heard a vocalist the other day she reminded me of. Um, I can't remember, but I was going to message her on Facebook. Anyway, yeah, they they were for a long time a four-piece band, and, and last summer got those three auxiliary players, and they're just stellar. Yeah, it's so wild with the horns and everything. I saw them... I only got to see a couple of their songs at Mogo that night. Yeah. Because I was running around. But I went to their show at the Goodfoot last week. Oh, for the single release. Yeah. And it was so fucking rad. And Trevor is such an awesome front man. He's like if James Brown and Mick Jagger had a baby. Yeah. He's like a fucking blues brother. Yeah. He's <laughs> just, you can't help but have a good time. I'm a tall, awkward dude, so I've never danced my whole life. And I'm like closest I've ever come to dancing is a Goldfoot shows. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> those guys, not only are they just super welcoming and, and great songwriters, their energy level is one of the like craziest I've ever seen in town. It's definite party music. And I have not reached out yet, but there's definitely going to be another Dan Cable Presents Holidays Party, like a second annual. And I feel like they have to be a part of that dance party. Yeah, man. You can't. It's just good times. Can't think of good time music in Portland without thinking of Goldfoot. And and shout out to them, too. They got on the What the Festival yeah, bill. So I was also going to say, man, that's so awesome. Yeah, they deserve that stage for sure. And there's like a lot of great Portland bands do. Um, one standout thing I will say about Goldfoot, and I'll put them on the spot, is the first time I saw them at the Star Theater, Mogo One, I was um, over on the stage right in front of Elijah, uh, their bassist, and it was the guys in Machine. I know they're all, you know, educated in music um, formally, but there's something to that band. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also just waiting to uh, for the day that Ruth and her brother, Archie, who is also a fucking genius bass player who plays with Cambrian Explosion and also in the band for the Beastie Boys tribute band. Oh, right on. Just unbelievable bass player. So I don't know what's going on in that family as far as <laughs> rhythm section, but yeah. I feel like they could be like some sort of Osmonds. <laughs> Partridge. <know>? Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's there. Super talented. <laughs> I didn't know that was her brother. That's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but yeah, man, let's uh, let's talk about Sounds of PDX a bit, um, which is your your weekly radio show on Portland Radio Project. Um, how did uh, how did that all come about for you? Uh, summer of 2015. We so my wife and I moved here. <clears throat> first visited in. Uh, uh, May of 2014, so almost three years ago, we were moved here by uh, October. <clears throat> so I'd, we'd been here almost a year, and I saw something about PRP, uh, Portland Radio Project, on KGW. I reached out to them, said I want to be a volunteer. Rebecca Webb got back to me, uh, the founder of PRP, and you know she provides this amazing platform for local music to be on the radio and and to highlight community um, businesses and programs and nonprofits um, so I got involved with them I was just showing up kind of doing whatever as a volunteer and then um, 
Kelly Jones had a Wednesday night program called The Rock Block that she co-hosted with Terry Briggs. And I started, you know, hanging out with Paul Lenko, who was their engineer. He showed me how to use the board and the systems. And, you know, I just kind of fell into that place. Paul would come in and load the songs and I would stay late and uh, kind of went through the boot camp. We promoted Mogo One and had, I think it was two artists for an hour and a half every Wednesday night for six weeks in a row. And just, I met a bunch of people through that. That's why I met Goldfoot. And uh, so that's how I got my chops at PRP. And then uh, Kelly ended up leaving, um, starting her own thing in 2016. So Terry and I stayed on board with the show that became the Portland Playlist. And quickly after the new year, Rebecca had talked to me about having a, a specialty show. It was originally on Thursdays, and that's when I started Sounds of PDX. So I was doing both at the same time for a while, both a Wednesday and a Thursday. I did that for a couple months, and then uh, Veronica Bezesti, um, who now does a subculture show on PRP, took over with Terry. And so Sounds of PDX was born with the intention of you know highlighting local music, having shows focused on a specific topic or event. Um, you know, as you know, I've, I've done, I started off with Brahman, which was really cool. And he was really gracious. Gene Blank were, you know, he was also one of my first guests, but, you know, I had to like talk to Brahman about some songwriting and, you know, he was just kind of my kickoff show, but then I was able to talk to Gene about recording, you know, in a remote location versus in the studio. I did a show on guitars with Justin Gibson from Pseudo Boss and, it just turned into this really cool thing. I've been able to interview some bands that have been touring through. Um, you know, had Rocco Code from Vancouver on the show. They'll be back in town June 2nd at Alberta Street Pub with the L.A. national band Battle Tapes. Um, so shout out to them. Thanks to them for trusting some stranger to interview them <laughs> while they were on tour. So, you know, I guess it just kind of evolved naturally. It was really nice. They gave me opportunities to speak and ask some questions on the rock block. And I got a good response. And I think my general music um, knowledge helped with that. I was talking to Mike Collins from Mets Ryan and Collins and, you know, a bunch of other great projects in town. And he was saying, he's like, oh, it's cool to be able to chat with you about music and studio stuff. He's just saying, you know, it's cool that you know that stuff. So that kind of gave me a foot in the door and that's where the idea was planted in the in the fall of 15 to kind of have a specialty show to be able to dive into that stuff with people at their own comfort level for their topic yeah definitely um i've had the pleasure of sitting in on some of those yeah early in the time that you and i met for the first time and whatnot you you invited me down to just kind of come down and check out what you were doing and just immediately was into the concept and a lot of the times your your shows kind of be end up being based on the guests that you're bringing in and and what their influences are as a musician right. which always makes for a really cool playlist yeah and i'm just so in love with that idea like <laughs> I, I just i'm just always like if luke wasn't doing that that's what i would be doing you know like oh, thanks, that's, and no it's such a it's such a cool concept and it's also just a really cool mix of like when you're tuning into that show, you get to hear some songs that you might hear on the radio yeah. you played, but also just like a lot of uh, you know like deep cuts off of records or local tracks and 
it just seems like that's just another thing where you're being exposed to so much different kind of music it must be like good for your ear to challenge it in certain ways and try to understand you know like yeah what's making somebody tick and before i got apple music based on your request it was it was getting expensive because people be sending me these great influences that I hadn't heard of. And so I'd be diving into catalogs. I remember when I had uh, Shannon Entropy on the show and they showed me, they had an influence from Bear Cub and an old uh, Portland instrumental post, you know, rock band that was really great. So I got really expensive diving into that stuff. But yeah, having all these influences from the bands are really cool. And I think um, the intention there is hopefully, you know, in the two hour show if you are listening and you are getting familiar with their influences and there's always curveballs you know i had one rock band i forget who it was someone brought in a a britney spears or like a i think oh it was a christina aguilera track like one of her more r&b jazz ones and it was just so weird that it was that influence so those are really fun to get into so from a listener standpoint hopefully in that first hour you can kind of become familiar with their influences and then when you hear their music in the second hour, it should be like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. Okay, I can hear X, Y, Z in that song. Um, and I think that's a fun experience. And then the other side of it that I have found that I didn't expect from that experience is no matter who the artist um, or what level they're at in their career, everyone kind of opens up the same when they're listening to the song that they've brought in. Cause yeah, they've had to think about it and email me the songs in preparation. But when they're sitting there and jamming out or singing along with the songs and just going through memories, it really disarms people in a way that allows me to get comfortable with them, you know, pretty quickly. So it makes a show nice and easy, you know, after the first couple embarrassing tracks that they have from their childhood, like everything's on the table after that. <laughs> Uh, conversationally, who uh, who are some artists or artists that like comes to mind that just really kind of blew you away? Not to like single out any above the others, sure. but I feel like there's you know the the joys of doing this or, or the surprises that that happen with it. You know, you never know what you're gonna get, especially out of uh, like I don't know. I feel like I out of this conversation. I sort of know what I'm going to get because you and I hang out. You know? mm -hmm. So it's it's comfortable in that way that it's just kind of a hang, but it also has a little more intent to you know get into some of the details that I don't know about you. But uh, yeah, like who's been who's been conversationally just that person that's just really blown your mind? Because one person that really uh, surprised me was Scott Pemberton. He's one of the bigger artists I've had on that's a, a national act and just is killing it on the scene. I mean, he's been reviewed as the next Hendrix, you know, and he just does some incredible stuff. So not only was he <clears throat> extremely gracious, he, he, you know, again, he was one of those next level artists that I just, you get a little bit nervous about it. So he was not only gracious, but he, he said a lot of things about songwriting and creating records that was very freeing for me personally. He talked about, uh, the trouble with his fans sometimes is when he releases a record, they know the music because he writes his music on stage. He's like, I take my music out on tour and we test it on stage. And he's like, I don't necessarily write it. I never play the same solo twice. You know, it's always organic and what feels right. And basically he has that old school, like, 
you know, Hendrix and the experience. It's about the vibe of the track. Even if you missed a hi-hat or, a, you know, you flubbed a, a bass note, if that's the track, that's what Scott took. So from that aspect, that was really mind-blowing. Um, you know, you, you recently had Jason Fellman, so he was just a wealth of knowledge for me as well on the music business, and that was a, a really great conversation. I mean, I've had a lot of really cool standout conversations. One of the... One really cool one was with... Uh, Coco Columbia. Yeah. She's that that was the one interview. I was going to mention for sure. I, I tuned into that and I learned about some cool records through that. Yeah. That episode. Right? Yeah. And yeah, Dana is just a superhuman. Yeah. I remember uh, in one of our interviews, she talked about a book she was reading. I wish I recall the name of it, but it was about as artists, they need to show up for the muses, you know, put in the work to whatever your place where you're trying to draw inspiration, whether it's a painting studio or your record studio or whatever, go there and show up and put in the work. And that was a really cool interview. And, and another layer to that is um, Jen Emerson, uh, who's been co-hosting Sounds of PDX for a while now with me. She had recently read that book. Dana had given her that book. So to hear them go back and forth and talk about the content was really, that was a cool interview too. That was a lot of fun. Rad. Um, <clears throat> as someone that's facilitating these types of conversations, um, do you feel like uh, you're more vulnerable in the state of performing music or being uh, like engaged in these these conversations that are that are happening is it is it a more vulnerable space for you or or any less or is it comparable in any way that's a really great question i think it's easier to be on stage um from the aspect that you can control everything is not a conversation you know the pa is always gonna be louder than the most obnoxious asshole in the yes, bar. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you can, even if you're an acoustic band. Um, but yeah, so that's a little weird. I think that's a vulnerable thing when you're maybe not comfortable. But if you're comfortable in your wheelhouse in the music business performing, you're controlling everything you can control. I could still be 100% at the top of my game on the radio or feeling really comfortable and stuff can still go wrong. You know, I, I've had plenty of times where I've forgotten to turn off the automation on the, on the song playlist and I'd be hearing a song in and doing a really smooth outro to intro my guest again. And the next <laughs> song fucking blares up and I'm like, no, you know, and that stuff happens. So it's pretty vulnerable to get those and those things can shake you. Um, but I also think I look at it that I've been talking longer than I've been playing music. So I could probably talk my way out of a situation, an awkward situation, easier than I could if a guitar string broke on stage or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I think conversations are always more vulnerable. And even though in what you do and I do, we may feel it's repetitious, some of the questions we ask, it's important to ask those questions, but then... It's to me, it's also that pinwheel game of like, choose your own adventure. You know, as someone's answering a question and I'm listening to it, I'm trying to, I mean, you know, the game, you're trying to, what can I do to progress this story without also not asking something a little too deep? <laughs> Absolutely, man. I was just talking about this on the uh, 
the Hot Garbage podcast, which I think that episode is probably out now. Um, and one of the things I was talking about on there is I think the hardest part of doing an interview or like facilitating a conversation like this is listening to the answers being given because, I mean, usually I walk into the conversation with at least some notes and they're not necessarily all questions, but there are at least some guidelines of where I would like to push the conversation. But sometimes that's not where the conversation goes. So you really got to listen to what's happening. And I think that can be hard sometimes because you're listening and trying to remember, like, think back to those notes and like where you want to take it. And just like you were saying, it's just like, it is choose your own adventure, you know, let just kind of got to let it be sometimes. And just like, because that's probably where the good stuff's going to be. Yeah. You can't, you can't force it. And you, you know, I've got, you've seen me do my show. I'm pretty, you know, I've got a playlist rundown. I've got a question rundown. And then, uh, you know, shout out to Vortex Music Magazine. I've got their weekly shows and then the, you know, whatever announcements and stuff. And then sometimes a text to win. So there's a lot for me to juggle just from the rundown perspective. And since PRP is an independent radio station and we're funded by supporters, we don't have to have commercial breaks. So that's a benefit to me in the radio game, but there's still exactly what you're saying when you're asking questions and thinking about them i'm also thinking about my segments for the radio going okay we need to get back to some music um i'm fortunate enough on my show that it's an interview-based show um on tuesday nights but i still have to play you know i still try to get through 20 songs in two hours so i always tell artists when they come in hey when i'm on the air if i'm looking around or clicking on stuff i'm listening to you You'll find I'm listening to you, so please don't take it personal. Don't let it jar you from what you're talking about. Um, so there's sometimes a lot to juggle, and it can get it can get weird. And then I'm also a control freak, so for a long time with this show, it was really easy, and I had things locked down. And then um, when Jen M was like, "Hey, I'd love to co-host with you," and we talked about that, I was like, "Great." Then there was that other dynamic of. Like, I think our first or second interview, I was like, oh, shit, maybe we should talk about what questions I want to ask versus what she wants to ask. And then during the show now, she has a lot of questions picked out. But if something comes up that the artist is saying, and I know it's a question that she has on her question list, I'm like tapping her on the shoulder now and like trying to pay attention to the artist, but point to the question, like, ask this next, you know. So there's always these fun juggles. But at the end of the day, the intention is to, to exactly do that, just to progress a nice conversation and hopefully get something. You know, I, I always like it when, uh, when a guest is just cracking up and making us laugh because I know they're in a good place. Or, you know, even on the other side, when artists tear up and cry, it's like, any one of those visceral emotions, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. like a pinnacle. It's, so it's a good sign. Yeah. Usually, you know, it's always, and I've never had a, I've never felt like I'm sure I've had bad shows, but I've never walked away from a show disappointed. Like I've always had a good time. There's always things I can reflect on that I could do better, but I've always been happy with the experience. You know, I've, I've, I've always, you know, considered myself super lucky that I get to do that. And, you know, we get to hear advanced releases of stuff and like we get this really cool 
early look at the Portland music scene, which helps us do what we do. But again, like for a music junkie like me, it's a dream come true. Yeah, you absolutely. know, to get that stuff. Yeah, it's cool to, you know, get those emails every once in a while. It's like, hey, check out this new single. It's, yeah. It's uh, not out yet. And it's just like, oh, this is rad. I, uh, I'm pretty OCD, and this has a point about my texts. So I'm not in a current text conversation with you. You're not on my text list. Point being, Kevin Wilbanks from Shannon Entropy sent me that YouTube promo clip they had from, uh, I forget what studio it was at, but he sent it to me a little while before they'd released it. He's like, don't share with anyone, but we're really excited about this. Point being, going back to the text, I kept that text for months so I could go back and watch that YouTube video <laughs> <laughs> until they released it. Uh, so it was cool. It's cool to get an advanced look at, at, at that stuff. And that's just, for, for me, that's a... Uh, that's a side fulfillment. That's a really cool perk. Um, but, you know, moving back to the music and bringing focus back to the music is a cool experience. Um, and I, if you don't mind, I'll mention I've got that um, show starting on Thursdays now. Uh, New Sounds of PDX Listening Party, um, 12 to 2. And that one is going to be music-based. Um, you know, two hours of music, some announcements. Um for the station, obviously, and stuff, but that one's going to focus on a lot, um, a lot of local stuff, national acts. You know, I think stuff that's relevant. I won't really have a theme. It's going to be basically whatever my vibe is that week when nice. I'm listening to. Uh, but that avenue is going to allow me to have a little bit more control to showcase what I want to showcase. Now, there's some artists that come on that I will ask. Um, you know, your your interviews have been really great for that. Like you've introduced me through when I've had you on, you know, to There Is No Mountain and Young Elk and bands like that, as opposed to when I have an artist on, it's their influences and usually not any other local artists. Uh, so that Thursday time slot will be great. Not only is it going to be able to, I'll be able to handpick the local music that I, you know, want to highlight. It's at a different time, you know, people that work in an office, I know everyone can't tune in on Tuesdays from seven to nine. People has, have lives. But if you've got a day job, it's a nice way to tune in and get a, a bite of what's going on in the Portland music scene. Cool way to spend Friday afternoon. Thursday afternoon. Thursday? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Thursday. I'm fucking, That's right. I'm fucking up the plugs <laughs> from a man here. Jesus. That's oh, all good. Uh, and then let's talk about PDX Spotlight. Yeah. Because you also host that program. I do. Yeah, I was talking to, I met uh, Mike Burling January of 2016 at a MOGO at Doug Fur, the MOGO marketing meeting. And uh, he came on my show in March with the Larissa sisters from Corner and the Larissa sisters project, obviously. Um, and we were talking about PDX Spotlight and kind of what he was doing. And we started a working relationship. So when I started the show, I just said, hey, I want to get you involved. I'm on the radio. I want to get a, a video entity. And, um, you know, he had a nice resume at the time and I loved what he was doing. And so I just had my playlist presented by PDX Spotlight to give him that weekly shout out. And uh, I had a band on my brothers and I who are um, on a, you know, they're signed and, and doing some great regional and national tours. Bunch of great hit songs too. Those guys kill it. Um, so I had them on the on my radio show, and we worked it out with their management and stuff, and we had them on PDX Spotlight. Um, we filmed that a year ago, uh, May 3rd of 2016. 
I don't have a good memory. It was just in my Facebook memories. <laughs> <laughs> and PDX Spotlight is more or less like a web series. Sorry, that, yeah. That also airs on OPB sometimes. Um, they do. They get a write-up in uh, Oregon Music News, and it airs on Comcast channels. It does four... They have four airings a month on Comcast, and they vary each month, so it's hard to say. But yeah, YouTube yeah. Um, channel and and through there. But yeah, I guess going back to its basics, Mike Berlin is the executive producer, and the intention is exactly that. It's their half-hour episodes with interviews and uh, usually four or five songs um, for the artists. Um, yeah, so that m My Brothers and I was the first interview I did. Um, God, that was so nerve-wracking. It really was. That was a nerve-wracking experience. But I, it was really cool and enjoyable. And uh, he just kept me on board. So I kept working with Mike, and I really enjoy it. We're curating shows, and the show's evolving quite a bit. Before we started this, we were talking about the Adverse um, yeah. show, which looks great. That's coming Super out. Super awesome. Yeah, it's going to be really fantastic. I think it comes out a week from today. Um, is your approach any different in those on-camera interviews that you're doing for PDX Spotlight opposed to your Sounds of PDX show? Yeah, I've got a much more regimented approach from a technical aspect. Mike has to have it in a certain way to produce the segments because we do the interview after the performance and he's got to splice that into the performances. So it's based on a couple of things. I just do a huddle with the artists, usually you know, get coffee, sometime before the taping and the day of I meet with them again and I want to focus on the time frame is very important so like we filmed the adverse show in March but I had to ask them questions in context to the summer because of when the episode's coming out so that's one approach and the other one is I don't have the advantage of the two-hour time slot that I have on the radio to make my listeners acquainted with the artists. So it really is almost like an infomercial. If no one had seen you before and they're watching you on Comcast, what do they need to know about you in four interview segments? That's it. Right on. Is like a lot of the mentality also have to be trying to keep the interview kind of evergreen then too because it's just going to air at some random time. So is it just... Are you trying to make sure the content there is, is not something that's just going to be plug, plug, plug? Yeah, Irrelevant definitely. when people watch it in six months? Yeah, I think the most of the plugs are done near the end, unless they're you know releasing a record or something like that that they talk about. So sometimes that still has a decent amount of relevance. Um, if it's usually a big event, we've had some bands talk about tours or festivals that were coming up. But yeah, most of the time I try to get into how this project form and more specifically as they're filming i'm usually off to the side um taking still shots or working like a, a camera and i'm making mental notes of what this of what they're doing live there so i can directly go back to okay this song what did that mean to you like we just filmed uh, a couple months ago arrows in orbit and uh they had some really great guitar tones that were reminiscent of uh, some Delta Blues stuff. So I brought that up, you know, just little things like that I try to pay attention to. So I get a lot of nice content as they're filming their episode, uh, which was really cool. Which um, was uh, Gil from Glass's like 34th appearance on <laughs> exactly. Sounds of PDX and Dan Cable Presents. <laughs> Dan PDX pilot. Yeah, he's, he's all over the place. I'm really proud of that guy. His most recent endeavor, uh, the piano songs with Logan Lynn are really great. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to those. Um, 
yeah aside from that is there is there anything else that you want the the good people to to know about that's shaking right now with you um well we got that going on i'm going to be um working on a music review podcast that as you know uh i guess we could make a a loose announcement that you'll be involved in (laughs) so that'll be cool yeah so my my idea is uh eventually here we're going to roll out pretty soon the uh, sounds of pdx podcast which is a live music review program which is where uh what that means is i can as i'm talking about oh in this bridge goldfoot does xyz i can have the music show up and you know bite size 10 to 15 minutes people can listen to them on the way to work so album reviews and track reviews Probably each episode will be um, one EP and one LP. Um, I think is a is a cool format. A couple reviews um, per episode, um, and really that just boils down to my cornerstone intention, which is to find a way to get more more ears on our great local music and more people out to shows. You know, there's a that's my next thing. You know, you're curating a bunch of killer stuff. You and I and a bunch of people have been talking about, you know, starting an earlier music scene, you know, in the day, during the weeks especially. So those are the things I'm focused on is progressing that communication of the Portland public of what's happening here and why they should all be involved in seeing local shows. Sweet, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we can just kind of close out on why all of this is so important to you and then why why you want to be involved in in the local community i think it's an opportunity for me to give back and uh as we wrap up i will give a shout out to um obviously want to talk about uh uncut which is a youth music program which is kind of the core of why i was doing this anyway but we're going to be uh, mike berling and i and uh, a handful of folks great folks are involved in this nonprofit, but we're going to try to find a way to provide programs and instruments to underserved people in the Portland music scene, uh, kids. Uh, and that's kind of what it boils down to for me. If there was a mentorship program or instrument lending program that I could have gone to, you know, that would have been extremely helpful at the age of 12. Now, more so what I'm doing with Sounds of PDX and PDX Spotlight, it is about, you know, I think there's a lot of great music. And if when I was in my band, someone with no intention other than wanting to help me because they dug my music, you know, had me on their show and helped promote it, I would have been just super gracious. And that's the opportunity I want to give people. And that really does, it's very fulfilling to me to show up at a show that I've helped promote and you see a bunch of people there. Like that's the greatest visceral gift we can get, I think, these days in the Portland music scene. Well said. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely, man. man. This is... uh Glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, definitely for sure. want to give a shout out to Heather Hansen from Portland Radio Project as well, who has a cool show called the Super Groovy Cosmic Buzz because she's the she's the person that brought me into Portland Radio Project for the first time. And you and I kind of were like, "Hey, we're Facebook friends. I know that guy. We both put out <laughs> shit." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, just. Yeah, after that first time of, of hanging, it became a very, uh, it was a quick click yeah. for us. So definitely appreciate your what you're doing as well as your, your friendship here. It's been rad to, to hang and see you around at shows all the time. And we're always just kind of passing music back and forth to each other. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man. Seeing what's good and yeah, just super stoked on 
what you doing, man? Well, thanks for what you're doing, dude. This is uh, a good opportunity to be on. So I appreciate that. And like your your content, you know, that you're doing at Mountain Air is uh, phenomenal. The videos you're putting out are phenomenal. Like, uh, so props to you. I thank love what you, you're thank doing. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to have people surrounding you doing inspiring things. We have such a cool music community in that way. So Yeah, nice we've got have. a lot of great material to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are we going to... What are we going to play it out with? We're going to do Golden Glass by Shannon Entropy. They recently released this single, and they're dropping their record next month. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to come on the, the program soon. Uh, before we play it out, we have to have you end it with uh, saying it's a program, of course. I've that been would... looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> He's been waiting, everybody. So, Dan, it's a program. <laughs> I think even even better too would be for you since since you're the radio DJ. I think that you should give this like its proper tag out like for the for the song and everything. I'll let, I'll oh. let you give it. Okay. You just got to remember it's Dan Cable presents and not Portland Radio Project, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we are closing the show with Golden Glass by Shannon Entropy from their forthcoming LP. Uh, I've been your guest Luke Neal on Dan Cable presents. Have a great day. That was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Catch you on the flip side, Portland. Peace out. She found me in the wild and locked me in her car. A car made of golden glass. She spun me up inside.
It's a program.